0: attention now to the passage that I'll preach from today, 2 Samuel 1, verses 1 through 11. Listen as I read God's word. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On, oops, excuse me. Thought that, that didn't sound quite right. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My apologies. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also. Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household. So they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness, because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant. For your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah Has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. He made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel. He reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. The time that David was king at Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. David had spent years on the run. I preached through 1 Samuel. You would remember that King Saul hunted him like a dog, tried to kill him many different times. David even left Israel to hide among the Philistines. But now, having grieved the death of Saul and Jonathan, David returned to the land of Judah to take up the office of king. His actions demonstrate his faith, demonstrate his determination that his kingship would be ruled according to God's commands. And that starts with the fact that he rules himself. You can't help but connect this to Christ, who calls us to follow him, even as David ascends to the throne and invites the men of Jabesh-Gilead to come and to follow him as well. So in this message, I'll be pointing you to Jesus, calling you to follow him as our great and gentle king. Let's look, first of all, at David's move back to Judah. I'll summarize this by saying, follow God's leading to establish the work of your hands. Follow God's leading to establish the work of your hands. So while Saul lived, David had honored him as God's anointed king. And I've, I've underlined this over and over again. The record makes it exceedingly clear. It goes all the way to the fact that he grieves the death of this man who was hunting him. He grieves it because he was the king, anointed by God, for that purpose. And in this passage, it leads him to honor the men of Jabesh-Gilead, ones who had retrieved Saul's bodies, uh, Saul's body and the, and the bodies of his sons. And now, after Saul's death, David follows God's leading to establish his kingship. He knew that the Lord had anointed him to this purpose, that that would come in time, and he recognizes that now that is the time. And the chapter starts by saying that David inquired of the Lord about this. And I don't want you to rush past that, because it's very significant that David would do this, uh, this thing, ask God what he should do. And I say don't rush past it, because uh, I find that in my own life, and maybe you're like, like me, in my own life, when something seems like the natural thing to do, that I rush past asking God's direction. What well, would have been a very natural thing for David to assume that now is my time? Saul is dead. Jonathan is dead. The, 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 the throne is essentially empty. And now is the time that God has prepared for me. I will go up and ascend to the throne of all of Israel. That's not what David did. He governed his life. He he, he he submitted his life to the will of God, even when it seems to be the most natural and most obvious thing for him to do. And it was a very big step for this to take place. He had followed God's revealed will in honoring the office of king and, uh, that meant that he had to leave Israel to protect his life. And now he is, is on the edge of a very momentous occasion that what God had been preparing him to do, what, uh, what uh, his, the shaping of his character, the exercise of, of leadership that he had learned in those hard times, he goes and inquires of God. We don't know exactly uh, how that happened. Earlier passages in 1 Samuel describe him going to the priest Abiathar and asking him to consult the ephod. And even in saying that, we still don't know exactly what that meant. But it was a way to ask God's direction, and the Lord would lead them through that. So he says, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord answered, Go up. Where shall I go? To Hebron. Now, Hebron was, uh, at that point, the most significant city, the most su- significant area of, uh, uh, of the nation of, of Israel. It had a central place, especially for the worship of God. You'll find if you go back into the book of Genesis that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would go and call on the name of the Lord in this area. And it is thought that here the children of Israel had set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting with its Ark of the Covenant. And that signified that this was the central place for all of the children of God to come to worship. It signified that God Almighty was in the presence of his people. And that was a a significant indication then for God to tell him to go there. It signaled to the people that this man, anointed by Samuel, is my man. This is the king that I have chosen to raise up over the people. So David went up there. He moved his entire family and his followers and all their families. They, they left behind the Philistines and all of their associations there. They left their place of exile and they followed God to Hebron. There the men of Hebron came or men of Judah came and anointed David their king, king over the house of Judah. We are we know that God had already identified David as the next king, not just over Judah, but all of the uh, all of the tribes of Israel. And that went back to even before David was was a known commodity in the uh, in the nation of Israel. He was just a shepherd boy, tending his father's sheep. God sent Samuel to anoint him. And now the time had come for David to take up his official responsibilities. But it was still something of a small beginning, wasn't it? Very clear here that it's just Judah who comes and follow after him. Not all Israel accepted David, and we're going to see that here in in just a little bit. But the men of Judah did, and so did David. He had steadfastly refused to take matters into his own hands. He turned down the counsel uh, counsel and offers of his officers to make him king before his time. But now he accepts this action, accepts their loyalty, he accepts the responsibility that God was placing on him. Follow the Lord's leading to establish the work of his hands. This is something to take to heart, isn't it? Let me pause here and, and make a, a, a pointed application that you too must follow the Lord's leading to establish the work of your hands. So often you will face complex decisions that will have a variety of trade-offs and you wonder what you should do. Or it may be that it's the most natural thing that you say, well, of course I'm supposed to do this, but you never consult God. Or sometimes it seems like the steps you take are, are infinitesimal and insignificant in, in the broader scheme of things. But God has said to not be discouraged by the day of small things. And David, I think, had learned this lesson in his exile. So while all of Israel had not yet come to acknowledge David as king, this was a first step in that process. And he was following the Lord's lead to establish the work of his hands. Jesus himself has described the kingdom of Christ as a tiny mustard seed that grows to be strong, so big that it shelters the birds of the earth that come and nest in its branches. And we rest in this as well, don't we? As we follow Christ, we do so looking to him to establish the works of our hands. We look to him for his timing, for his wisdom and guidance when there are decisions that need to be made. We look through eyes of faith that say, I don't see the why or the significance of what I'm doing right now. But I trust that the Lord has a purpose in this. This is where he has me now. I will serve the Lord right here. By eyes of faith, trust that he is doing what he wants to do, that I am doing what he wants me to do. David was looking to God to establish the works of his hands. And it is something for us to take heart as well. This enabled David, secondly, to be gracious to the men of Jabesh Gilead, even though they had opposed him, now apply this by saying, "Follow Jesus, leading by being gracious to the men and women around you." Just I'll remind you real quickly what the men of Jabesh Gilead did. At great risk to their own lives, they went under the cover of night to rescue the bodies of Saul and his sons. Philistines had desecrated their body. They, they. Had, put them out for display and ridicule and shame. And uh, if you don't remember even further back, you could ask the question, well, what motivated the men of Jabesh Gilead to do this? Well, it's because Saul had delivered them. In fact, it was the very first part of Saul's ministry. One of the first actions that he undertook as the king of Israel was to come to the aid of the men of Jabesh Gilead. They were being oppressed by the nation of Ammon. They were were being uh, uh, shamed by by what was happening. You can go back and read about that. And Saul marshaled the armies uh, and went and rescued the men of Jabesh Gilead from sure slavery and the shame and death at the hands of Ammon. They remembered that. So they rose up to remember Saul and to honor him. And David acknowledges this. I just have to say that this isn't how earthly politics work. You, you never give any credence to what the enemy does. The opposing party, you're always undermining what the opposing party does. They're always trying to get the upper hand over them. David could have done this. He could have uh, used this as a point to say that uh, you're with Saul and you ought to be with me, and, and could have used that as a rallying cry around the nation. But David acknowledged and, and he voiced a blessing. On the men of Jabesh Gilead. You are blessed of the Lord, for you've shown this kindness to your Lord Saul and have buried him. Now may the Lord show show kindness to you. And it's a it's a, a blessing that he is pronouncing on him. This is in sharp contrast with the man from Amalek who had come in chapter one, who had tried to get David's favor by disrespecting Saul. See, David had aligned himself with God's purpose, and so he opposed the Amalek, and he honored those who showed kindness. The word that David uses here is one that's rich throughout the Old Testament. It is translated here as kindness, but elsewhere it is often in reference to God and his loving kindness and his steadfast mercy this speaks volume of the kingly character that David had as one who had received the lord's loving kindness he established his kingdom to do the same the very same principles that he had enjoyed from god's hands that he now be it's not just now he was already doing this earlier in his leadership but now in his public life as king, he's establishing it and extending the love and kindness of God to others, even those who could be counted as his enemies. And that sheds light then on David's invitation to them to join him as the, the newly anointed king. Now, therefore, he says, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead. Also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Now, you could read that as David playing a shrewd game of thrones. But instead of shrewdness, I would have you see that David is extending grace to all of the nation of Israel. And he's is extending grace in a way that uh, invites them to come in line with God's purposes. That's a phrase I keep using. As I, I think it's a, it's a good way to think about following our covenant-making God is to align ourselves with his promises, with his word, with his commands. David showed this by his own example. And he's inviting others now to join him. God had anointed him to be king. And he invites ones who, in a sense, got it. They, they were honoring Saul. And he says, as you have honored the previous anointed king, align yourself now with God's next anointed king. And it really shows grace to, uh, to Jabesh Gilead and by implication an invitation to the rest of Israel to do the same. And in this act, we can see Christ foreshadowed. David was God's choice over his people. David called for allegiance. But he did so with gracious words. He did so with praise and with honor rather than with an iron fist. When the king of kings came into the world, he announced, he is gentle and lowly. He too calls for allegiance, but his invitation is full of loving kindness. In Matthew 11, Jesus invites us to follow him. Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. There's the allegiance. There's the the following after Christ. Take my yoke upon you. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. That yoke of allegiance is an invitation to follow after Jesus. It's an invitation to be his disciple. But the yoke is easy. It's easy because the king is gentle and lowly. Like David, we follow a gentle king. We can follow a gentle king by demonstrating the very character of the king himself. By showing grace to those around us. Most naturally, to those who are closest to you. But do you remember how Jesus challenged us to love not just those that are lovable, but to love our enemies as well, and to turn the other cheek? Follow after a gentle king by being gracious, just as Jesus is gracious. Final portion of this passage, I'll summarize by saying, do not defy the king. To go back to David, the text immediately goes on to tell what Abner did. He was Saul's general, his commanding officer. And he took another one of Saul's sons named Ishbosheth and he made him to be king over Israel. And what happens next is a very uh, uncomfortable and unfortunate portion of scripture that I'll be preaching through. It's a bloody civil war between Judah and the rest of the tribes of Israel. What Abner did, once again, makes sense from an earthly perspective. From an earthly perspective, if a king dies, his son rules, Nishbosheth. Is uh, the next in line after Jonathan and other sons of Saul have been killed. And Abner, under the natural course of events, takes Ishbosheth and establishes him to be the king over Israel. And all of the other tribes follow him. But the kingdom of Israel was not like the nations around them even though they had asked for a king like the nations around them, and they got a king like the nations around them, and they began to act like the nations around them, they were not like the nations around them. They were God's people. And God had established who would be king over Israel. He had anointed David. And you would hope. That one of the rulers, like Abner, would recognize that and that he would come to align himself under the new king. But he didn't. He acted against the revealed will of God by rejecting David and advancing Ishbosheth. What a contrast we have between David and Abner. David did align himself and followed after the Lord to establish the work of his hands. He was not promoting himself to be king. God had established him as king. and He accepts that responsibility, trusting in what the Lord was doing. But Abner rejects all of that, and specifically this revealed will of God that David was anointed as king. David would be king, not just of Judah. This is a small beginning, but God had promised that David would rule over all of Israel. But Abner and the rest of Israel aligned themselves against God's king to their hurt. We'll find some of that in the next couple of chapters. They align themselves against God's king, against God himself. Leads me to close with the final application. What about you? Will you follow the king of kings? Or will you reject him? Christ calls all mankind to come to him to find rest. Think again of that gracious offer, that gracious invitation of our gentle king. In him we find rest. In him we find salvation. And in him we are delivered both in this life and the life to come. So how will you respond to that call of Jesus Christ? Will you follow him in this life and that to come? Or will you respond, No, I will not have this man to be my king. Because that's what you're saying if you reject Jesus Christ. You're saying no to God. I will not have Jesus to be my king. I will not have him. And what do you get? Will you get freedom and reward? Hardly. You will find only more toil and woe. And in the end, the king will sit in judgment, cast you down forever. Jesus calls you to follow after him. About you, will you accept this Christ to be your king? Will you follow him, submitting yourself to his gentle rule so as to establish the work of your hands? Will you align yourself with him so that the characteristics of that gentle king are then mirrored in you? You are gracious to those around you. Or will you reject him to your destruction? I'll leave you with that question today. And the invitation that Jesus gives. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened. I will give you rest. Amen. Oh, God You have called, I pray, that you would enable us to hear that call and to follow after you give of your spirit so that our dead hearts would be changed and that we would embrace Jesus now and forever. That we would follow you even though it seems like small and insignificant uh, measures that we take. I mean, we follow after you, looking to your word and inquiring of you daily what you would have us to do and that you would establish the work of our hands. Father, I pray that the gentleness of our meek and lowly Savior would shape us day after day after day, that we would come in loyalty and allegiance to swear that you are our God, that you are our King. We would pay heed to the warning to not defy the King. Jesus' name we pray, amen. Psalm 18, remember this is David's psalm of, of when he is relieved from all of his troubles and he describes in this portion of the psalm the gentleness of, his, of our king. He reflects on the, on the troubles that he went through and he says that the Lord's ways are perfect. His words have proven sound. In the very last stanza, very at the bottom, your gentleness has made me great. You clear my way, secure I stand. These are our words in Christ, aren't they? We follow a a Savior who is gentle and lowly. Let's please stand to sing.